This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of June 26, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 435 of Defender Radio. Wolves are one of the most majestic creatures on the planet. They're intelligent, social, and thrilling to watch, whether roaming their territory, hunting as a pack, or teaching pups the ins and outs of play. Some people love these animals so much that they want one in their home, and buy wolves bred in captivity or wolf-dog hybrids. And according to the Wolf Sanctuary in Colorado, that's when things can go wrong. More than 100 wolves or wolf-dog hybrids have found a home at the sanctuary since it opened, and the dedicated staff and volunteers have helped find a safe place for thousands of others. Many of these individuals were born in profit-driven breeding operations, sold to well-meaning and loving families, and ultimately surrendered to the wolf sanctuary by owners who were unable to care for an animal that isn't entirely domestic and isn't entirely wild. Dr. Shelley Coldiron, Executive Director of the Wolf Sanctuary, joined Defender Radio to discuss the difficulties people find in raising wolf-dog hybrids, what special needs they have, the daily operations of running the sanctuary, and the individual personalities, quirks, and lives of the animals in their care. The reasonable place to start this conversation is to talk about the beginning of Wolf Sanctuary. So, where did this organization and this this beautiful place that you're now running come from? Well, it started in 1994 with the founding couple, which is Pat Lenteri and Frank Winland, took in a, a neighbor's wolf dog puppy when they couldn't handle it anymore. And which uh, they it's kind of the typical sad story about these animals, where people are attracted to them as puppies and uh, soon realize that they're t- generally not equipped to take care of them. So they took that uh, puppy in in 1994 in Laporte, Colorado. So that's L-A-P-O-R-T-E. And uh, the word got out that they were being able to, to take in wolf dog puppies, and they ended up having, or you know, wolf dog animals, and they were not able to care for those animals where they were living. So they bought the property where we're at right now and moved there in 1997. <clears throat> and wolf became a a uh, 501c3 nonprofit in 1995. And and since then, how many wolves have, have uh, or wolf dogs have called the sanctuary home? Um, we're, we have had approximately 110 animals that have been, you know, been provided sanctuary at wolf. That's incredible. And, yeah. And we also, uh, what we do is we're connected in a nationwide network where we communicate with other uh, rescues, sanctuaries, and homes when we get contacted nationwide by people or uh, bad breeders being shut down to try to place animals. So through that particular network, we have helped uh, a couple thousand animals find safe haven through that. Well, And I guess that's that's maybe where we need to sort of now move in the conversation. And, and this is one that comes up a lot, I think, um, in sort of the, the the Venn diagram overlap between what I do and what you do um, is people who want to have some kind of a wolf dog or a wolf puppy 
um, and end up. I mean, you, it, it's generally not a good idea to have a wild animal as a pet. Uh, we'll just throw that out there. Um, but the the situation with wolf dogs and these hybrids is very. I, I would say almost uh, unique amongst a lot of pet ownership because they're not domestic, nor are they wild. Uh-huh. Um, it, you, you mentioned that a lot of people that get these, they fall in love with them as puppies. Why are people breeding wolf dog hybrids? What's the intent? Um, money. They, uh, and um, let me kind of back up and kind of uh, go over this particular industry. Um and mm-hmm. typically what happens is these breeders will sell these puppies from as little as $1,500 up to 5000 And they generally, and we actually are having, uh, we just took in a new puppy who's gone through this experience. Uh, they generally take the puppies away when they're as little as th- three weeks old uh, from their mother with the idea that when they open up their eyes, they're going to imprint on people and, and, you know, in particular the people who buy them. So, you know, they don't learn the proper social skills of being a canine and they don't fit into the human world. So immediately we set these poor animals up to be failures. And so people will get them at three weeks old and they're cute as puppies. And these guys progress in their development very quickly and they're extremely smart, and they're not a dog. But people want to think that they can actually handle them and raise them like they do as a dog, but they soon find out that you know they have a predator-prey um, tendency, They'll, uh, they need to be constantly stimulated, and um, they don't provide them the proper enrichment. They chew up the furniture, dig through the uh, drywall, they kill the neighbor's cat, um, they go after the neighbor's small dog, and they also have a personality like I like to describe as that it's kind of like a cat in a canine's body. So typically where you can train a dog mm-hmm. uh, to want to make and please you, these guys could really care less in general. So um, the breeders do this because it's, in some states it's unregulated and they make money and that's the whole reason behind it and then other people are attracted to it because I believe they feel empowered by being able to think they can control the wild yeah it's there's there's got to be an interesting psychology behind this um and you know it 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 really sort of when you have the conversations with people and my my experience is primarily online um with these conversations I had one recently in an advocacy group and someone was saying that, um, you know, what's the difference between this picture of a wolf and this dog? And his point was wolves are just another breed of dog. And I said, no, they're not. That's wrong. Um, you know, we've got like 15,000 years of domestication and evolution in the mix here. Um, and being able to get that across to people thinking, well, what about, you know, they see this new dog on TV. You know, I think a good example might be Labradoodle. Um, all of a sudden, oh, people wanted this kind of dog, so they made this kind of dog. And that's a new thing. So that's what we're doing with this wolf, is we're just introducing some dog genetics, and that'll even it out and everything will be okay. But again, that's that's not how genetics work. That's not how DNA works. Um, and I think, too, when you then talk about the behavior, what's fascinating 
is at three weeks, very simple behaviors like bite inhibition have not yet been learned. Right. And that is what can very certainly keep dogs safe, uh, both in terms of their relationship with other animals and in their relationship with people. Right. Um, and that's the, the learning to, uh, you know, if you bite and you bite too hard, the game goes away. Uh, that's that's how they teach each other. And I, I believe wolves actually have a very similar early learning curve in that regard. And they do. And that's that's one of the tragedies when these breeders take them away from their siblings and their mother is they don't learn those uh, that, you know, hey, you, that's not allowed and I'm going to correct you. And so, you know, like I said, we set them up for to be a, a failure. Um, because they're not properly socialized, they don't know how to be themselves, and so they fall into this uh, quagmire of not being a dog, not being a wolf, not being domesticated, not necessarily being tame, and so when they reach around two to three years of age, that's just when they're mature, that's usually when a lot of things start to go really wrong. Well, and that's what we hear even with uh, people who try and have raccoons as pets, is at first it's lovely and this little raccoon is learning and then around two and a half, once they really hit that sexual maturity um, and they decide this is what I want and those instincts start to kick in full uh, full gear, uh, they get very, very uh, unhappy with someone trying to keep them in a house or yep. on a leash or something and, like that. And so like here in Colorado for the state, you know, states, counties and cities uh, will have can have their own um, regulations. But in the state itself of Colorado, if you have even a small, can claim even a small percentage, even 2% of a dog content in a wolf, it's still being considered and handled as if it were a dog. So uh, in Larimer County, where we're at, wolf dogs and dogs are, are treated the same um, for regulations. However, again, it's not recognized for a rabies vaccine. So, you know, I mean, it's just a, a lot of conflict. Yeah, that's really weird. And uh, I mean, the wants and needs of a wolf or a wolf dog are going to be vastly different than those of a dog. And again, it's you, you can't discount tens of thousands of years and hundreds of thousands of generations, um, particularly. And I, I'm guessing, and you can uh, please do correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing a lot of these people who breed uh, wolf dog hybrids, it starts out with one wolf they have procured through unknown means, and then they just throw another dog in there. Uh-huh. Um, it's not done to the level, and, and I don't want to get into a huge debate about dog breeding on this conversation, but there are, you can say, good dog breeders who who pay attention to pedigree, who pay attention to behavior, um, who watch very closely how lines are crossed and so on. Um, I, I'm guessing there is not that degree of... Uh, what you could call professionalism behind it. Right. And and you're correct. You know, a lot of these people who are, uh, I mean, there are some, uh, I hate breeding them, but there are some higher level breeders who are, do pay, pay, pay attention to the lineage, but uh, majority of them are just like backyard breeders and um, they will go and get some type of Northern breed and cross it with a wolf. So then that they feel that they've now got a wolf dog that should have some domestication to it because it's got dog in it. And that's not true. Uh, and 
you know, we've been involved in uh, helping to shut down some really nasty breeders and their whole purpose, like puppy mills, is to make money. Yeah, and that's, you know, you can track almost all the woes in this world to greed. Um, and I, I, I try to understand the attraction people have. Um, and you hinted, like, there, there are various reasons we can come up with as to why someone would want to have an animal like this in their home. And of course, you know, wolves are, are absolutely majestic creatures. I don't think anyone, particularly anyone listening to this podcast, will doubt that or argue that. Uh, and I am a, a huge dog lover, and I've got multiple dogs in my home, one of whom is pacing around and making a lot of irritating background noise as we speak. Uh, for listeners, that is, of course, JJ. Um, and I, I don't understand, though, why you would think or why you would want a combination of those two things. I, I, I don't understand how the consequence of that is not seen and, and understand the desire for it. Um, how are people, when, when you get to the situation, as you said, and I know many of the, the animals you've, you've brought in are those who are sort of the equivalent of an owner surrender. I'm not sure what the, the, the proper terminology would be for you. Um, who said, I had this cute puppy and now it's it's gone too far. And as one could predict, and as you've said, you've got a wolf in your house, pretty much, a wild animal, um, who, while they may have attachment and emotion for you, uh, also have desires and needs we simply cannot meet. What is the attitude of these owners when they do have to eventually say goodbye to this animal? You know, typically, um, if... Uh, the majority of people we see when they get them as puppies, they do have an emotional attachment. So majority of them are devastated. Um, but you know, they've kind of reached to a crisis point where they've, they're desperate to rehome this animal. And, um, I mean, you know, we hear varying, uh, reasons why, and they become pretty typical, like what I described earlier. So um, sanctuaries like ours are almost always at capacity, and we can't always help them all, but we, through our rescue coordinator, uh, Susan Wydell, we do standardized questions that we ask people to answer to try to help to understand that animal's um, background and their personality, and we get pictures, and then we distribute it in our net network to see if we can find some place where somebody might be able to step in. And, you know, sometimes we just know that we can't help them all. And that really cuts at our heart, too. And, um, you know, this this particular industry, it's unregulated. And so we don't know how much, um, how widespread this is and how many animals there are that are bred each year. But the estimate runs between 200 and 250,000 per year in the United States. And uh, approximately 90 to 95% are euthanized by the age of two or three. And, you know, um, we get people who are desperate to find out if their animal has wolf in it. And um, I, I stepped in as the executive director in 2012. When I first became the executive director, I'd look at the animal and I'm like, I don't know, is that a dog? Does it have wolf in it? But over time, you start to learn what to look for. And we, if we get someone who sends us, I'm desperate to know, does this have wolf in it? I'm thinking about giving them up to a shelter. And we also find what breeders will do is they'll take varying uh, 
northern breed dogs breed them and then pass them off as wolf dogs. So there's the other side. And we'll look at the animal and we say, you know, uh, we get videos, we look at them, get their temperament, and we say, you know, you do not have a wolf dog here. This is probably a, a husky mix or a Malamute mix or something else. And some people really get upset because they paid over $2,000 for this animal and they're going to say, yes, it is a wolf dog. And we tell them, you know, if you do that and it's not, and it ends up in a shelter, shelter, it's more likely it's death sentence because shelters can't take on that liability of having uh, placing a wolf dog in a domestic home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, an understandable situation for them to be in um, because with, uh, you know, temperament testing is not uh, uh, 100%. I don't think it can be. Um, and those who excel at it, even though, there's always going to be that fraction. And when you're dealing with an animal where you you do not have the ability to understand its instinctual makeup or their their desires and wants the way we can with most dogs, regardless of breed, we can kind of figure out sort of that boundary of where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. Although I think it's interesting when, when we talk and I, I might end up having to put this somehow into an intro or something. Um, <laughs> but talking about the the northern breeds, the the, the Malamutes, the Huskies, um, these dogs are extraordinarily high energy and have an extremely high drive. Um, yes. And that's something I think a lot of people don't know. I used to love the look of Siberian Huskies uh, when I was a lot younger. And then I spent time around them and said, no, thank you. Um, this, you know, JJ, the, the, as I call her Hamilton hound is a shepherd hound mix who got the, uh, the, I don't care from the hound and the, I'm not going to do what you tell me from the shepherd. So she's, she's a lot of fun that way. Um, and, uh, anyway, I just, it's, it's very interesting that people may think this is a wolf dog because of this behavior, because of this look, but that's actually just a very common dog, um, that you're not prepared for. And I think that's ultimately when we talk about uh, animals and pets uh, is trying to have an understanding of what we're getting into ahead of time. And unfortunately that's not always possible. And then of course we have celebrities out there who say, Oh, well you can just make this noise and touch your dog and they'll do what you say. Um, exactly. And uh, I've got <laughs> multiple episodes for those people who are interested in listening uh, with professional dog trainers and researchers who can explain why <laughs> that doesn't work. Look in the back catalog. Um, but moving forward, I think what, what's really neat, one of the first things on your website, uh, wolfsanctuary.co, is um, you, you're you not open to the general public. And I remember what, when right. I spoke with, um, with your organization a few years ago, uh, the same thing was talked about. And I think this, this is very, very important to, to talk about. Why do you not have people coming in and spending time uh, from and, – and I know there are – physical restrictions due to the, the work, but also in, in regards to the care of the animals, why do you not have people coming in to meet them? Um, well, one of the things is where we're currently located, we can't be open to the public. Um, we're down two and a half miles through a private road, which goes through other people's properties. So we're not allowed to be open to the public where we're at. We're looking to move uh, the sanctuary to a place where we can be open to the public and we'll have limited uh, exposure to the animals. And because we're not open to the public, that makes it very challenging for us for being able to provide financial support to run the sanctuary. It's really difficult to ask people to 
help you with our, your cause, um, but you're not able to let them see what you're asking them to support. And the additional thing is we're in a deeply sloped ravine where we're off the grid. We don't have a good, reliable source of electricity. Our wireless service is limited, so we can't even set up webcams. So we're always challenged in trying to find uh, support to be able to keep doing our mission and providing a, a wonderful place for animals. And we, and we make it work, but it's always a struggle. But when we move, um, we're going through a permitting process with the county. Assuming that we do get through this, what we'll do is we'll have scheduled times during the day where people can uh, make appointments online to come and visit wool. And they would only visit those animals that um, are comfortable being around people, meaning seeing people. But um, we will... The ones who are not comfortable with people will be in a position where people can't interact with them. And also the other thing is you always got to be careful about having, our number one thing is it's always about the animals, their care and their comfort. And so we're not going to let people come in and just rush up to all, rush up to our animals and get all over them. They will have um, the ability to see them and understand their story, but it's not going to be like a petting zoo or something like that. Yeah, and why is it important? Um, and, and you know, forgive me for asking an obvious question. I just I really want to nail that home that not all of these these uh, wolf dogs or the the animals want to be around. And why is it important to make sure that they're not around people if they're not comfortable? Well, wolves in the wild really do not want to be around people. They will try to be as far away from us as they possibly can. And so some of our high, what we call our higher content animals, which would mean the ones that have a high, what we believe is a higher amount of wool in them, are just uncomfortable being around people. And the other things with these animals too, when people adopt them, they don't like change. They like something that stays the same and they feel comfortable in that. So we don't want people to be to causing them any stress or anxiety because they're seeing a lot of people or hearing noises they're not used to hearing. And um, the other thing too is people think that these animals uh, are vicious. And um, in general, wolves in the wild will not attack people. If you go and you look for a historical uh, recount on how many times wolves have actually attacked humans, it, you could probably count them on one hand. Uh, and it's generally been, you know, a very sick old animal and they're desperate. Generally, wolves will just stay away from us as much as they can. But then there's also the fact that what are you crossing this wolf with? And is it with a type of dog that makes some of the behavior issues a little bit more challenging? Um, in general, wolves will, uh, if you start to make them uncomfortable, they'll huff at you and go, oof, 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 oof. And that's basically, please, I'm uncomfortable, stay away, give me some space. And you, they give you a lot of warning, whereas some dogs, with the way that we've bred them, they give you no warning. So when we have wolf dogs, you know, what is it that you're going to get here uh, with that behavior? Um, and that's sometimes... Uh, we, what we do at Wolf is we learn the animal and we always give them the space that they need and we provide for them what they 
need to have. We never make them do anything that they don't want to do. And I want to ask you about the sort of mm-hmm. the day to day. But first, I'm, I'm looking at the website. And as we were just talking about the content of the wolf and, uh, you know, people not sure whether or not their, their animal is wolf, you look through the pictures. And some of these animals, you look at them and you say, that's got to be a wolf. You look at some of them and you say, uh, I think it's Reese, looks like a coyote to me. Um, and then a few of them, they, they look like huskies mm-hmm. or malamutes. Uh, I would not think there's any wolf. Uh, off, the, you know, if I saw this dog on the street, I'd go, "Yep, that's a Malamute or a Malmix." Um, so that's that is a really interesting, you know, just from the face of it, you can't tell necessarily. Um, and so what it it's a combination of uh, physical characteristics, phenotyping, and then their behavior um, as to how we rate them. And the way that we rate them is low, medium, and high. I mean, a low amount of wolf to a high amount of wolf, high content, and um, you know, we don't know that we have any pure wolves. We have uh, some that we're that are very high content. And like um, Reese, uh, I would call her mid to high content. Mm-hmm. But you know, just by looking at a picture, that's a single picture can't tell the story. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, it's just it's fun to look at too. <laughs> um, and the other of- thing too is some of these genetic tests. Um, when you, so some of the shelters may send out um, for a dog that comes in and has been released or they've, uh, you know, captured it and brought it into their shelter. And they'll set it out for genetic tests and they typically go with the cheapest test. And some of these tests are uh, really fallible. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be careful about that. I mean, if you want to do really good genetic testing, you need to be able to put the money into it and go to the high quality because in the end dogs came from wolves. And so how are you going to distinguish that? So you have to be careful about trying to tag your animals or whether it's a wolf wolf dog uh, and uh, not have the right testing to do so. Yeah. And that's, you know, I did uh, DNA testing on one of my dogs years ago. Um, and it came back just absolutely so far off. Uh, it was mm-hmm. silly. Um, and that's, it's, it is very much a situation if you get what you pay for. Exactly. Uh, now let's move back into the, the fun stuff, the day to day. Uh, what's it like uh-huh. going to work and having wolves there? Uh, what, what happens for the wolves every day? Well, um, first off, let me say that it's magical because these animals are so unique. And um, what our daily chores are, first off, we um, make sure they're, so their animals have access, we give them uh, raw meat six days a week, and then we supplement that with kibble feeders so they can have access to dry kibble uh, whenever they want. So our first chores in the morning are to make sure that everybody gets their medications, and then we make sure that they've uh, got their water and their kibble, and then we poop scoop. Then after that, um, what we do is we do any of the maintenance work that needs to be done. And for those animals who enjoy socialization and going out on walks, then we uh, provide that for them and then brushing the ones we can brush. And so it's just really good to have that time with them and enjoy seeing them. And as I say, the biggest reward is, you know, the majority of the animals we get have come from some pretty horrific backgrounds. And the greatest joy is watching these downtrodden, dispirited animals 
gain confidence, feel free and watch them be happy and healthy and just living life to the best and the fullest that they can. And that's the reward is watching that transition. Absolutely. And that I think is, is frequently true of, uh, Everyone I know involved in rescue, whether it's wildlife rehabilitation, dog rescue, or, or in your unique situation with the wolf sanctuary, um, is you can very visibly see those successes uh, just sort of blossom over time. Um, and it's sort of a, a nice reinforcement of everything you do. Um, it's interesting talking about sort of their day-to-day too, because you do have this this mixture of personalities. Um so, you know, uh, you, you go poop scooping and you provide them kibble, but at the same time, you give them the raw meat diet, which uh, you can also say is very beneficial for domestic dogs. What about providing um, interaction in terms of, uh, you know, prey drive or uh, do they, can you sort of simulate that with toy drive? Well, we don't try to um, do anything. I, you know, I've had people say, well, you've got live chickens we'd like to donate to you. And we're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that, <laughs> but um, these guys have, are used to being essentially hand-fed by people, by humans, and so they really don't know how to. Uh, and if they were released into the wild, they wouldn't really know how to care for themselves, other than maybe scavenging from uh, garbage. So we don't want to. We don't try to do anything like that, but we do provide enrichment, like some toys uh some of them loves yeah that's sorry that that's what i yeah. meant uh, oh. not to engage their actual predatory behavior but uh to stimulate oh, yeah, the yeah. prey drive through toy drive yeah we give them toys and balls and some other things they enjoy playing with and um each one has their own favorite thing to do and so we do work on enrichment and um our sanctuary too what we do is we uh, because in the wild, wolves are a family pack. It's the breeding pair, and then the, the children stay with the pack until they're around two or three age, two to three years of age. Then they'll go off and either form their own pack or join another one. So you got the genetic diversity uh, that goes on. And but what we're doing now is we're taking unrelated individuals and putting them together and say, here you got to live your life together. So uh, what we do is we pair them, a male and a female. And in uh, their enclosure size will go anywhere from a third of an acre to an acre in size. And so that's their home. And uh, they're spayed and neutered. And if we ever have more than two animals per enclosure, it's only one female and the rest are male. Two females do not get along. (laughs) So, you know, uh, so they've got a lot of room uh, to roam, um, to dig dens. We give them toys for enrichment, and we're continually looking for other things that we can provide them. And pretty soon, we're going to be making some meat sickles for them. <laughs> taking, so, so, so they get some meat sickles to play with in the summer heat. And so we just do everything. And then we also provide um, water troughs um, where we fill it up with water, and they love to get in there and splash like kids and the water all over the place. So... Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and there's there's actually there is a dog sport which I'm gonna try and find while we speak. Um, um, and I would imagine that it might be uh, uh, lure coursing. That's the one. Um, that might be something that they would enjoy. And that's a very simple mechanical thing to install. Um, have you ever seen that? Take yes, place? I have. 
that's fun to watch them go after that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Of course, I tried getting JJ to do it once, and she chased it for like 10 feet and went, ah. (laughs) I'm getting food later anyway. I don't need this. (laughs) That's exactly it. Um, uh, Is that what the wolves do, or is that – you think they would act that way? It depends on the animal. You know, they're all different. Yeah. You know, we've um, we've had some people who um, are saying, well, oh, God, what happens when there's wildlife in the area? And, and you know, these guys, we've had cattle, free-roaming cattle come through the sanctuary and be like 10 feet from their fencing. We've had uh, horseback riders go through <clears throat> the sanctuary, turkeys, deer, uh, coyotes are the ones that they get a little excited about. Um Fox, bears, and you know, they're like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm good. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to do anything for my food. I know my humans are going to take care of that for me. So, <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and I imagine it's the kind of thing you could probably just get lost sitting and watching them all day. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, we've got this one couple, Zoe and Loki, and those two playing is so funny to watch them play together and they're a really good match and they make so much noise and if you didn't know better you'd be like oh my god they're fighting they're just just they're just playing and you learned uh how they do things you know so it's it's fun in terms of the uh, the uh, spaying and neutering does that impact their behavior in uh, a measurable way i don't think so um you know, it's, and that's hard to say because we've never had an animal who's been with us who hasn't been altered uh, long enough to observe it and see changes that happen afterwards. But as a sanctuary, um, our mission is to not contribute to the problem. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And well, it makes it, you know, it's a sort of a, you consider that it's often pointed to as a behavioral fix, so to speak, for a lot of domestic animals. Um, so I would, I'd be curious as to whether or not that, uh, that, plays a role at all i don't know and what's a kind of um interesting so dogs can go into heat two to three times a year but wolves go into heat once a year and that's generally around december um mid to late december and then they uh birth uh usually late march into april and even though there are girls have been fixed. They'll still seem to kind of go through a little bit of a cycle at that time. And, uh, they can get kind of grumpy. <laughs> so we, you know, at those points are like, okay, well, Izzy's going to be grumpy for the next couple of months. So we just need to give her space. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, well, and they're, they're still going to respond to a change in season. Yeah. Right? Like I see, yeah. I see that with our dogs. Uh, the ones like, JJ or our lab blue who have a heavier coat and love the snow as it starts to get cold, their energy seems to go up. They're Uh getting excited. This is something they're liking and they don't get as tired as quick. But then the boys who have very, very, very thin coats as the temperature starts to get cold, they start to settle down a little more. Um, So it's, it's, I, you know, even just in our domestic mutts, we see it. Uh, So I imagine there's, there, there must be some kind of behavioral response uh, and that's an interesting question that's on your FAQ that uh, I would not have thought to have asked, but I guess it's something that people wonder about is what happens in the winter because they live outdoor all, uh, outdoors all year. And mm-hmm. it, it, again, to me is kind of a, a, an obvious one, but 
they are quite happy in the winter in their enclosures, aren't they? Oh gosh, they're so happy. As soon as the you know, summer comes and, and generally what happens is you see a activity level in the morning and then they pretty much just sleep for the rest of the day until uh, dusk and nightfall. And then they, they'll wake up and um, spend, be a little bit more active. But in the summertime, they're much more quiet. But when the, a winter rolls around and the snow starts to fall, they get all frisky and happy. And uh, they just love, love, love the snow. And it's kind of funny. We had a really uh, record-breaking mid-month snow in May. We had like three and a half feet of snow, heavy snow. And uh, while we were struggling to stay ahead of the storm, they were you could just see them just laughing as stupid humans. Don't you see how much fun this is? And we're like, no, this is not fun. <laughs> But, um, and, you know, it's, they, can, they have a shelter. We have insulated shelter for them with bedding and insulation and stuff. But even on some of the coldest nights where you think, oh, my gosh, you know, they, they've got to be inside, coupled up together. They're outside. Like, this is great. You know? Yeah. So. Quite comfortable. I, uh, I met a, uh, a couple who fostered a dog years ago who had a Malamute. And they had built him a beautiful doghouse outside. <laughs> the the, uh, the husband and the couple was an engineer. And it it was nicer than apartments I've lived in. Uh, it had a flap that had a light automatically go on and off. It had AC and heat. Uh, <laughs> he had a bed and bowls and the whole – like it was an awesome doghouse. Because they found when he was outside, he wouldn't want to come inside. So they figured, okay, we'll build him a house outside – so when it's snowy, he can still be safe and warm. And they went out to check on him, and he's laying outside of the house uh, <laughs> watching the snow. Like, these animals, they, they've evolved to enjoy uh -huh. that, to thrive in it. Um, and another good question on your FAQ, cheers to whoever did this. Um, do you have a vet full-time on staff? And I know the answer to this because my wife and I watch Dr. Jeff. <laughs> There you go. Well, um, you know, like I said, when I took over in 2012, uh, we had one volunteer vet. And what I did was I worked on putting together a volunteer vet committee. So we had a number of vets who had varying expertise that we could call upon to um, come and help us with our animals. And we recently hired um, a vet part-time now and this is you know we keep um getting more and more fortunate on that part and she also is a veterinarian for the wild animal sanctuary in kingsburg where they have lions tigers and bears and um so uh, you know our vet care is high quality and and you know they are our priority their health and their care is a priority and dr jeff came out last year um to uh, film at our place and um, help us with one of our couple of our annual exams. So that was a great treat for us. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Dr. Uh, Jeff Rocky Mountain Vet on Animal Planet for those who are interested. Um, and I, I think what I find most fascinating about what you guys do is the the opportunity to both get to know these animals as individuals, mm -hmm. but then also recognize the problems that are posed by these individuals in a strange way. Um, and that's kind of where we open with, and it might be sort of the, the best spot for us to close with as well is as animal lovers, 
I understand wanting to be close to wildlife. Uh, you know, I live in the city, so I get close to squirrels primarily when my dogs let them near our house, um, which is a funny story because on the first day we moved in here, we have a backyard uh, uh, in our apartment and there was cats and squirrels and raccoons. Uh, on the second day, there was nothing. Um, they learned very quickly that our backyard was not a fun place to be anymore. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting that we, we want to be close. We want to appreciate these animals. But I think the, the wolves, the animals for whom you care, are kind of a representation of what happens when we don't understand that wildlife needs to be wild. Exactly. And I agree with that 100%. You know, and um, ultimately what I would like when we're able to do this, I would like us to be able to work on legislation to ban breeding of exotics. Um, you can go to some states and, you know, you need to have um, a license for your dog or your cat, but there's no regulations about owning exotics and providing their care. There's no licensing that's provided. And that includes tigers, lions, bears, and other things. And it's wrong for us to try to bring them into our homes, try to control them and put them in a setting that they're, that's not natural for them. We need to keep wild things wild, respect them, and give them the space they need to thrive and live out their lives. You can learn more about the Wolf Sanctuary, see images of the wolves, and find out how you can help them move into a new, improved location at wolfsanctuary.co. That's it for this week, folks. For Defender Radio, I'm Michael Howie, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.